It's go time. Welcome everyone to Quick Kicks. I'm Don Charbon, and today we have a very special guest from 680-CJOB in Winnipeg, the one, the only, Derek Taylor, the new voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. How does that sound? Uh, weird, because it, for my entire lifetime, it's been Bob Irving. So, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's, uh, it still takes some getting used to, though. Well, I imagine for you, it's probably been almost a lifelong dream. Not that you wanted to bump Bob off. <laughs> <laughs> Came to Manitoba in like 2001. It was my second TV job was Manitoba back in 2001. I was here for what, 14 years. I was in Winnipeg and nine, nine seasons doing Manitoba Bison's games. And you can't help but think, okay, well, where, where, how, where will I go up? Where, what's the spot where I'm going to go up? And where's the kind of places that life can take us? Because, you know, once you get married or, everything kind of changes. You're not as free to move about the country as you were when you were 25. So yeah, that, that actually ended up back here is crazy and uh, uh, ultimately quite fitting, I think. I think sometimes life brings you back to where you really belong. And for you, I imagine this is how you feel as well in, at this point. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I really can't argue with that, right? Like as I, I said before, like it's, it, Winnipeg isn't my home because once you get older, you know, the concept of home is like, well, is it where I was born? Is it where I grew up? For me, it's the longest the place I've the place I've lived the longest as an adult and, you know, where most of a lot of friends are and family, some family of my wife's side remains. So uh, this is this is probably as close to home as I as I have going. So it's uh, pretty sweet. That is awesome. What was it like growing up? I, I, obviously, you must have loved sports when you were young. Yeah, well, grew up in Alberta. So yeah, I, I always, for as long as I can remember, have been sports. Like my dad was the baseball coach. He was intermittently the hockey coach. My neighbor played hockey. My, bro- my older brother played hockey and baseball, and he was like a year and a half older. So just to keep my parents from having to run around too much, I moved up a level just to play on the same team. Uh, when, I, when they finally – I was disappointed they never had minor basketball in my hometown because I was a basketball fan right from the very beginning – you take what you can get uh, when you, when you're a kid in a town of like 4,000 people. And then the first chance I had was ninth grade to play football. And I could not wait to absolutely embarrass myself on the football field. So I took that and ran with it. Yeah. I I know what you mean about embarrassing yourself on a football field. I am guilty. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So a a town of 4,000 and as you sort of look to your future, you're going through high school was, media journalism on the agenda from the word go or was that something that came a little bit later for you no i feel like i figured it out when i was about 14 because i i'd long known okay well there are better athletes in my town so my dream of being a pro athlete is almost certainly dead plus i don't work that hard at it so that ain't going anywhere uh, and i was just i was just standing and this is on the whether it's drama class or an after school thing i just i was standing on the drama stage and i'm like you know what i could probably commentate sports so I like that TSN, that sports desk is pretty cool. And I, I enjoy that Michael Landsberg and Brendan Connor. That's kind of funny. And, oh, I get to watch uh, Darren Detition and Perry Solkowski on ITV because that just came on our cable. And Mike Toth and the whole gang on uh, 2 and 7 in Calgary. Like, man, you know what? Actually, that would be pretty cool to do. From the age of like 14, 15, I was honestly 
pretty lucky to be like, you know what? I, I think I could do this. So that's what I ended up uh, chasing from there. And I actually caught it. That was just quite remarkable. You find out when you get into the broadcasting business. So did you go to another school to basically learn the craft or was there an opportunity in a job where you could from the ground up start to learn? Oh, so I, I went to school with the intention of it. And then because I wasn't a real good college student, great high school student, but uh, when you find out you can sleep in and skip class and no one cares, that one really did me in in university. I, I went to try to, you know, try to be in, in broadcasting. I ended up getting shelled to newspaper because I didn't do, you know, not showing up for class kind of hurt my grade point average a little bit. You know, I interned at a radio station with the sports director. I did some stuff for the, the local cable uh, group where we did like, roller hockey or ultimate frisbee i was a i was a play-by-play commentator for ultimate frisbee which was a, a sport i had not seen until that day and just little things like that and then eventually got on at tsn as a writer during the sports desk era thanks to a, a buddy of mine jay onright got me hooked in there that's kind of where uh when you're doing you know 11 12 hour days plus a two hours re- you know return trip on the bus i mean you're just all about sports and you don't throw up and you don't hate your life when you love your life you're like okay well this is the thing i meant to do because if you can do it for you know 11 hours in a day and then go home and, and watch more sports you're probably in the right spot yeah i guess it's the old adage uh, do what you love and the money shall follow and in your case you were doing what you love because if you're putting in those kind of hours you better be enjoying it <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah oh the whole gang on the row just we're just just crushing it and it's you know some people it wasn't for everybody, right? Some guys got into it. And that's what you see in broadcasting, right? Is uh, some guys don't really want to go to the small town that they're not familiar with. Uh, so they end up getting into another another job or uh, another part of the broadcasting world. One of the guys uh, was like, uh, no, this isn't exactly for me. I'm going to go be a lawyer. And now he's been a lawyer for 20 years. And and some of the guys, you know, were Adnan Verk or Jay Onright. And like, oh, that just fed their fire and like, oh no, this is what I want to do and I'm going to be great at it. So yeah, it's, uh, it, it's truly, when you, when you have to do it for 11, 12 hours a day, you really realize, oh, I love it or, oh, I got to get out of here. Yeah. And that's a great litmus test, I guess, ultimately for you, isn't it? Oh, for sure. Because yeah, you can't, you can't force yourself to any job. Anybody listening knows that in your job, it's it's not the same if you have to force yourself and drag yourself to work. When you love doing it, just it just it hits different, and you you just do better at it. Now at TSN, you start to get in front of the camera. Yeah, so it, it, it's um, there were it was funny when you, when we were there. This was the late nineties. Uh, you would you would be working. You know, Rod Smith would be on the desk, and Dave Randorf would, was in the Vancouver office at the time and those were guys that went essentially from what they called the row where all the writers worked to an on-air position but uh by the 90s that just didn't happen anymore right because tsn was well established with these a-level broadcasters that uh i think just about everybody had to leave in some fashion for some length of time and, and come back jay went to saskatoon then to winnipeg and then came back to the nhl network probably in the middle 2000s and he's been a star ever since right uh i got like me i had to go through a few steps and then eventually got back in 2014 gosh which was yeah 14 years after i left i finally made my way back again that's more of the proving ground right do i really want it well because uh, the job you thought you'd have when you were 25 
in the naivete that we have when we're younger. You actually got when you were 40. Well, you, do, you, do you want it? And then, yeah, it came at a time where I, where I could take it. And I was thrilled to get back. Yeah, you mentioned about having to do the circuit, I guess, in a sense, where you have to work in smaller centers and really make a name for yourself and really practice your craft, become better at what you do. Oh, and yeah, do your do your terrible stuff where no one will ever hear it and do it before the era of YouTube where no one ever will know, right? That, oh, really? I did that? Or that's what I wore that day? Ooh, yikes. Yeah, so mine was small town radio in Canmore, Alberta. TV in Kamloops, BC, TV on the fourth station in Winnipeg, moved up, moved up after uh, they shut down my station. You move up and you end up on a, on all things, a soccer show that goes all through Canada, the U.S. and the Caribbean. I'm like, oh, I didn't really know the Premier League too well, but now, man, I can, I can tell you all about uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, those Manchester United glory days. Well, you've you've really come a long way if you can start <laughs> prattling about the, the premiership. Oh, it's it's great though when you run into uh, like when you're interviewing athletes and they're soccer fans. Oh my, it's fantastic. Uh, Cameron Lawson, uh, the guy the Bombers had traded for, uh, he was a big soccer player back in the day. So I was interviewing him. I'm like, well, you you're a good soccer player, but are you a soccer fan? Like, were you watching? Uh, who was it? Liverpool and whoever they're playing in the Champions League. So I was like, oh no, I was watching Liverpool Villarreal. Let's not kill ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves. It's it's a neat point when you find someone else who who knows it and likes soccer in in this country. One of the things that you had while you were at TSN was the details. Mm-hmm. I'm Derek Taylor with the details on the ultimate contrast of styles in the Grey Cup. You've got to explain to me. A, where did the idea come from? And B, how much effort and what did you have to do to bring those forward? So I started at TSN very late in 2014. So 2015, uh, I was living in Toronto. I was in a one-bedroom apartment because my wife was still in Winnipeg. And uh, I was working essentially four days a week doing Center. And I thought, oh, I'm kind of bored because, frankly, I'm kind of boring. But I was kind of bored. And I thought, okay, well, I, I need something. I need something to do. And honestly, I need something to, to make myself kind of stand out because you, you could get lost among all the elite, talented broadcasters there. You, you need something that, uh, that I thought I need something that makes me different. So I thought, could I watch every CFL game? CFL is very important to TSN. Could I watch every CFL game, track every play? And then the stats that we're able to pull out from there will allow me to tell some pretty cool stories. And I didn't know if that was crazy or not, but I thought I'd give it a try. And I got about halfway through that 2015 season. And I thought, oh, wow, actually, this is, this is going pretty well. I've got all this data. Let me take this to somebody. So I, I took it to one of the, the boss of, of SportsCenter. And I said, hey, uh, I've been doing this. I've got this data. And I think we could use it to tell some pretty cool stories. He was in favor when 2016 rolled around. One of the uh, producers on SportsCenter was like, hey, um, we want to take that. We want to make it a segment. And I'm going to hook you up with this uh, this other producer who's going to be in charge of it. His name was Poria and he was fantastic because he's like, Hey, I have a vision for this. Uh, we're going to do it. The guys are going to be cartoons. I got a buddy who can make cartoons out of them and we're going to do it in graph paper and charts and stuff. And it's going to look amazing. And I thought, all right, that sounds good to me. So Poria is a guy I will never forget. And honestly, he takes it over the top because the numbers are cool, and I can tell good stories, but James Wilder really gravitated to himself as the roadrunner and stuff like that. Guys, ne- guys never forget that they were 
they were cartooned on TSN and they loved it. So that really helped take it over the top. But honestly, it was because I was kind of bored and looking for something to do. And it just turned out to be, uh, you know, it expanded as the years went along and it ended up actually working out really well. And it, it's, it took a ton of time. Like each game at the time would take me five hours to, to process. So four games a week, there's 20 hours. And some of those pieces, they're 90 seconds long, but you're like, Oh, I, I wonder about this. And you'd have to figure out how to figure out that number, which would take you a few hours and then write it correctly and confab with the producer. So Though, like one, you know, under two minute segment could easily take me eight, 10 hours to write, much less collecting the data for 20 hours that got you to that point. So I imagine you were with your PVR and you were just jumping back. Okay, I've got to watch that again. They went to the right. It was 15 yard depth. Who's the DB? Who's the receiver? Yep. And just over and over and over. <laughs> was over and over because, you know, it, it can be. If you don't know exactly what what they're doing or what they've called, you're like, is that quarterback pressure? Is it because Micah Johnson stuck his head out? Is that why the quarterback left the pocket, or is it is it because you know uh, Charleston Hughes was was coming? Who would he have seen, and and who would be responsible for the pressure? And was that oh man, so many conversations with myself of is that a drop or is that harsh to call that a drop because the line is very thin in some spots. So yeah. But uh, every yeah, a lot of those conversations around a, a lot of uh, a lot of the finer points for sure. It uh, it was one of my favorite things to watch on TSN. I I just absolutely loved the effort and I loved the presentation. Oh, it and again, so much of the credit goes to the producers on it who took care of it. Eventually, Poria gave way to some other guys, but yeah, the animation and just the the fun we have with it because it just it looked different, right? And it felt different. And then it provided the the springboard to have conversation with, you know, pro football players like, Hey, uh, I did a piece and it was, uh, I, th- I think it was maybe the Enoch Mwamba misses a lot of tackles piece. And you come up or, and, and come up, you talk to the guy, the, the one I'm thinking of was 2016. I did a, I can't believe the bombers are moving on from Drew Willie to Matt Nichols. Because everything Matt Nichols does well, Drew Willie actually does better. So we come out of that, and how dumb that sounds now, because, uh, yeah, Bomber fans know how dumb that sounds now. But you come out of that, and you go, okay, well, Jock Climby, this is, this is what they've shown in the last year and a half. Why is Winnipeg making this move? Which is kind of, was kind of my whole goal in that, right? Was, you know what, Jock Climby, Matt Dunnigan, Chris Schultz, uh, all these guys have all this experience from decades of playing high level football. I'd like to be able to ask them smarter questions. So to me, uh, this, this was my way. I, I relate to everything through numbers. So, Hey, uh, this thing where Matt Nichols is accurate. Drew Willie's been more accurate over the last year and a half. Matt Nichols is good under pressure, but Drew Willie's better. At, well, okay. Drew Willie is not good under pressure. Let's, let's not get ourselves on that one, but that was, that was kind of the whole goal. So it, honestly, it, for me, it was a huge success in it. It allowed me to kind of, you still see misconceptions with how people think the CFL works. And I can go, well, no, because here you go. This is what he's done over five years, six years. So I'm super happy to have to have started that and to keep it going uh, to this day. 
It is fantastic. I, I, I hope it never ends. One of the greatest stats that you came up with, and I've used it on our podcast, and Lord help me, I get into battles over this, is the whole business of what happens after a team gives up a safety touch. I've yeah. pointed to you saying that yeah. almost two out of three times, the other team on the ensuing drive is scoring some more. Yeah, don't don't ever do it. That And honestly, that was when I first started, uh, I was doing Manitoba Bison games, and the Brian Doby, their head coach, gave up safeties, you know, instead of punting at his own end all the time. And I thought, should he really be doing this? This seems strange. What if he just punts it out of there? So I, I, set, I spent on like a two-year journey to figure out, should he be doing it? And then I was able to get CFL data easier. And I'm like, oh, well, Doby was right at his level. But at the Canadian Football League level, uh, teams don't score as readily as as they do. And they certainly don't score as readily as opposing coaches think they do so if you can net you know even 35 yards on a punt you should never give up the safety except for in specific situations in which the score late game score mandates it never 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 give up the safety never 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 yet teams will certainly kneel down in the end zone and i'll rub my head yeah i because I'm in absolute agreement with you. And the other thing that has always bothered me, uh, I think back to a game a couple of years ago, Cody Fajardo's trying to come out of the end zone. The Thai Cats are trying to pin him in there, and he gets just clobbered right at the goal line on second down. Right. And what does the coach do? Puncher, go in and give up the safety. Well, what is that message to your offense, and especially to Fajardo after that? Well, and, and, that's, and that's a real good point. And the puncher was John Ryan, who... John Ryan has a monstrous leg and whether it's selection bias or not, guys who punt from within their own 10 yard line average two, three yards more than a, than a punt at any other part of the field. And there's probably a lot of that is I'm only going to let the strong ones do it. But what is John Ryan known for a nuclear leg? Like just let him boot it from the one. Cause if you get that ball, even to the 36 yard line after the return, which is not asking a lot from a guy like Ryan, even the 36-yard line, they don't score nearly as often as, as you think they do. They don't score touchdowns nearly as often. They miss field goals because field goals can be 45 yards and tough to hit. Sometimes you score because you intercept the football. I really think coaches believe that, well, if, if we punt, we're, we're for sure giving up a touchdown. And it is not even close that, uh, that, you, that you're giving up a touchdown. From the 36, I think there's probably – I'd have to check the numbers – 20, 25% of the time where they don't score any points at all. But I just don't know that anybody else apart from me has looked at that and gone, hmm, we need to work on this because uh, if you trust, like, trust your defense, right? Trust your defense. Trust it even if it's at your own 36. The other thing, have you ever seen anyone in the NFL take a knee in the end zone? Apart from maybe a torrential windstorm? No, you've seen punters goof it up by standing on the end line or Dan Orlovsky accidentally running out of the end zone kind of thing. But no, you you never do. And those guys have four yards less to play with because the end zone's so short. And yeah, I, I assume every CFL coach would be, well, their, their, their goalposts are in the back of the end zone. And yes, but their kickers are better. So what are, what are we doing here? Like, there's just, there's no, there's no normal circumstance. When I see it early in the game, it drives me bonkers. Because while we're playing field position, I don't think you know, I don't think you fully understand that, you know, there's a weird spot around the plus 40, the opponent's 40, 
where teams scoring actually drops off because I think offensive coordinators get a little weird with that particular field position when they're just at the end of field goal range. You just never give up the safety. Always, I'm, this is the two things I can promise for people who are listening to the broadcast that I do. Always go for two, never give up the safety. That's my deal. I love two pointers in this in the, the CFL, apparently. Well, the only thing about two pointers that I would like to see is maybe move them back a little bit further and make it a prisoner's dilemma. Just make it a little tougher. I think it's a little too easy decision at the three. Uh, at the what do you mean at the three? The two point convert attempt. Oh, like so? Yeah, since since they moved kick converts back, the guys hit it at ninety percent. That and that includes factoring in um, what is it five times that someone's blocked the kick and returned it for a defensive two pointer. And teams convert the two-pointers 60% of the time. And you go, hmm, if that's not enough to convince you, you should be always going for two, the 1.2 points per attempt versus 0.9 points per attempt. I, even moving, I mean, unless you move it to the one, then teams are going to go for it all the time. They're just going to quarterback sneak it in, but that's a terrible piece of football. But, like, the thing I've never understood with that is think of all the great offensive coordinators in the CFL. Uh like Buck Pearson, year number two. Paul Lapolis, a ton of experience. Dave Dickinson, Jason Moss in Saskatchewan. You tell me if that guy sat down for an hour and said, I'm going to drop plays from the three-yard line that get us in the end zone. Those guys couldn't come up with like 20 that would just rip teams apart? Hey, uh, Kyron Moore, you have an option route from the field side on this one. Just do Duke Williams, you have an option route to the now wider boundary side. You and Cody just figure it out. Boom. Automatic two-point convert. Oh, ball got tipped up their shack to bring it in. Like, there's just I, – I don't know. I don't know why certain teams are so resistant to go for two when what's – the, what's the downside? Oh, well, if we miss, I have to tell my guys not to be concerned about it. Well, you miss converts too. We know in Winnipeg they miss converts too. What do you tell your guys at that time? Do that and when they miss a two-point convert. Tell them that same thing. Guys, let's go get them. Boom. And your man after my own heart. Yeah. Like, how do you tell your team we're giving up to, but we're not going to go for two? Yeah. We're, we're, uh, yeah, because you can't use the trusting the defense thing on the kick and a convert, right? It's, it's, I, I see a lot of coaches and a lot of, a lot of fans go, no, you take a guaranteed point. Like, well, it's 90% ain't guaranteed. It happens nine times out of 10, but you miss it one time out of 10 and you find your way out of that hole without ever talking about it. So uh, why not take the one that, well, you could miss five in a row. You could. You absolutely could. You can miss a couple of converts in a game too. Coaches try to maximize everything else in the long run. If it doesn't work for them on a day, okay, fine. Uh, stuff happens. Uh, that old Al Pacino speech, Many Given Sunday, would gather up all these inches. Coaches, in my mind, in the CFL, are leaving inches on the field by giving up two and not going for two. And I I can't really explain why. Fair enough, fair enough. Now, what do you think of the CFL changing where you get uh, the ball after a made field goal and after a single, moving it out to the 40? Because on a missed field goal, are we going to see fewer attempts to run the ball out? You feel like kneel down and take it at the 40 instead of trying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I that's a good one because... The 35 was enough incentive. The four, the 40 is fractionally more. I think it, I think it's like two tenths of a point difference for your expected points when you started driving the 40. Everything is kind of, I mean, both those moves, right? The 35 to the 40 move and the you now can't punt it out of bounds 
in uh, between the 15s instead of between the 20s. It's very clear the CFL wants more returns, wants more in the return game. Oh, and, and the no yards, every no yards is 15 yards. They want more in the return game, which I find super interesting because the NFL does not want returns. They're keeping kickoffs at a spot where kickers just blow it through the end zone. And we had that thing a couple a couple of years ago where it was touchdown convert commercial, kickoff through the end zone commercial. And we all wasted six minutes of our life waiting for commercials to end for the other team to get possession. The NFL doesn't want returns, but the CFL does, which I find interesting in the uh, concussion era that we're currently in. There's going to be a, there's going to be a little more scoring, but historically the 35 and the 40 aren't dramatically different when you start your drives there. Like I say, it's maybe two tenths of a point, which okay, um, it's not going to get you back to what were we down six points a game between 2019 and 2021. Those moves aren't aren't particularly going to do it. But on the bright side, maybe we see somebody uh, take a bad referee call that screws them out of a million dollars from a local grocery store on a TSN broadcast. Who knows? Yeah. I I don't know. Do you think they were overreacting to one down year offensively in the Canadian Football League? I think partly so. Look back to 1991 and how crazy the scoring was in that year. And none of these rules were in place. They were kicking from the 45. They were taking the ball at the 35. It seemed to work then. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I see what they're going for, and I, I appreciate that we like points. We don't love concussions and two guys running 20 miles an hour at each other. So, yeah, well, one of the great rider plays of the season, right, was Jamal Morrow's return touchdown and the, the, the one that almost happened as well. But it's interesting that they feel like that's the way. Uh, at least the, uh, the hash mark thing is intended to open up the offense as if uh, – yeah, at, at some point we'll make rules for defense, but currently we're trying to get more points in the steel offense. That's uh, that's king. I, I don't mind the hash marks moving in. The distance is changed by four yards on each side, which brings one receiver closer and gives more room to the other. I think the way that one, that one's been sold to us as the field side wide receiver, who most times happens to be the Canadian, will get more action. I don't know that I buy that because that, I assume that guy splits and we'll find out from, you know, when we get to see training camps, but that guy's splits will probably be quite similar, but man, the boundary side receivers, the, the, uh, the Duke Williams, Shaq Evans pairing or the Brian Burnham, lucky whitehead pairing in BC or Reggie Bagleton plus whomever it's going to be in Calgary. Oh, there's more space for those guys to work. Please. Yes. Hook that to my veins because that's that, that to me, that's where that's, that's going to be uh, Eric Rogers in the red zone with four yards, more space to work with in Toronto. That could be all right. I could just talk about this forever. CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. You leave TSN because the job in Saskatchewan to be play-by-play comes open. Yeah. How tough a decision was that? Oh, it, it absolutely was. My wife had been working in Saskatoon for a couple of years in advance of that, though. And she loved Saskatchewan. She had a fantastic time in Saskatoon. She loved it. The job comes open and I'm like, well, I want to I want to do play by play at the CFL level. My wife loves Saskatchewan. We haven't lived in the same house for almost three years. We should think about this. And then, yeah, the job comes open. The interviews go well. They offer me the job. And I'm like, are, are we taking this or are we okay with we're going to live in the same house and 
with each other's sounds and my uh, my late nights and stuff. And and yeah, it was it was a fantastic move from the uh, from the home side because three years is a long time to be away from your best friend and the woman that you love. So it, it was just it was a perfect move on that side. I remember your very first game. It was like your almost your worst nightmare to get started. The first preseason game was in Calgary, and there was a forest fire which delayed the broadcast by a, which not. I mean, the broadcast went on on time, but delayed the kickoff by a half hour. So I had to sit there, and Luke Molitor and I just riffed for thirty minutes. I'm like, okay, well, thank God I got five years worth of data to back on too, and I can talk about some good stuff. The second game in Ottawa, the the booth wasn't set up right so i had to actually i started doing the broadcast on my phone and i would pass the phone to luke when it was his turn to talk and we eventually got that sorted out uh what was it week four the game against toronto with the two plus hour rain delay in the middle of the game uh the game in montreal where we all learned the rule that if the game's delayed for an hour after the half midpoint of the third quarter the game is then deemed to be finished like all right i guess that's a rule so yeah there was a that 2019 season had a lot. And then the crossbar and it's over. And you're like, wow, this, this season, this is, is this how every season's going to be? At least there wasn't Chris Jones being mad at me all the time. Craig Dickinson with his smiles actually made this palatable. Now, why would Chris Jones be mad at you? The first day I showed up, Murray McCormick of the Leader Post is like, you don't know how lucky you are. You didn't have to cover Chris Jones. Like, hi, I'm Derek. How are you? I had no idea what he meant, but apparently Chris Jones wasn't the sharingest head coach there ever was. But uh, yeah, we were fortunate to be blessed with Craig Dickinson from a media perspective. And I, and I think when you see the results in the field, the riders are, are blessed with Craig Dickinson from a head coaching perspective. You referred to the doink, which is the ball hitting the crossbar. As a play-by-play guy, when you see that ball leave his hands and you see what's about to happen, what's going through your mind? Are you thinking, I'm, this is an epic moment, or are you thinking, oh, no? Oh, it, I mean, it was an epic moment, right? Because that Kyron Moore catch on third down that went through Marcus Sales' hands, uh, you're like, oh, my, this is going to happen. This is unbelievable. This is going to happen. And then what was the sequence after that? Incomplete. Uh, was it was that the sack and people thought it was a fumble, but we were convinced in the booth that it wasn't a fumble. I forget if, if that was immediately after, but third down and goal and the game's on the line and Fajardo drops back and then it hit the crossbar. And just all the wind, all the air goes out of your lungs, your stomach sinks, the whole stadium is like, what? It hit the crossbar? What? How the, who put the crossbar there? And it was just, they were destined to win after Kyron Moore made that catch. And then all of a sudden it's undone by, I mean, as Fajardo, Fajardo laughs about it now, but he says, that's, we practice that every week. Are we going over or under the crossbar? And I, I can't believe I, I hit the crossbar. It was absolutely deflating because yeah, they, Winnipeg, once they got Caleros was a different animal. The riders had every right to believe that they could have been great cup champs in 2019. And then, of course, no season in 2020. So we come back in 2021, shortened season. Everything's sort of compressed, but the same two characters are back in the West Final. And was that ever different? Hey, oh man, Mike just went into that game going, when Winnipeg is cared about a game this season, they obliterate other teams. The games they, they tried in, they've allowed six points in the fourth quarter. Like, wow, this team is, is different. And you really saw in that one, Coaches will say, sometimes analysts will say, 
well, talent doesn't guarantee you anything. And you're, that's totally true. Talent doesn't guarantee you anything, but it gives you a ton of margin for error. And that game, that game, uh, West Final in 21, was entirely about Winnipeg's margin for error, right? Six turnovers, six turnovers. And, they, and, and there really wasn't a point where I thought the Bombers were going to lose that game. I don't know if Steve Daniel mentioned it when you talked to him on the podcast, but uh, a team turned the ball over six times and winning cannot, I don't know, that's like a 2% thing. Like, it just can't happen very often, but that's what uh, getting all that talent back in your lineup can mean to you. And the Riders were, the Riders were a wacky team in, in 2021. Fajardo's deep ball, the, the defense was pretty porous, except for the fact they kept tur- getting the turnovers and keeping themselves in it. It was a it was a kooky year. In that kooky little tour, you had Luke Mullinder with you in the booth. How was that? How, I know he's a really nice guy, but what was it like working with him for those two seasons? It, I I had no idea what to expect, but I mean, the first time I met him, I'm like, oh, this seems like a good dude. And then we did that first training camp in Saskatoon. I'm like, oh, well, one, you just just know that he knows what's going on because he played in the league for so long. You just know you have always that to fall back on. But he's a good dude, and he he has a lot of characteristics that I I always wanted in myself more. That I'm like, okay, I need to do some of what Luke does in this situation. I need to be more like Luke here. Or he's a guy who I was I, I would go to for advice, and I'd be like, hey, you're a different dude than I am. What this is the situation? What do I do? And Luke's got a, Luke's got a very take it head on approach to to life. I'm I'm kind of. I'll just lay back and let the steamroller just back over me. That'll be fine. <laughs> right. So uh, it, it's, he was a great guy from that perspective to work with. And man, how excited he got for moments in football and the, and the, the, the extra parts he would bring to it and the things that he would see, not even just analyzing plays, but knowing guys in the sidelines, like Brett Lather walks on in the West semifinal to kick that winning field goal. It looks like looking for Giardo. He's already halfway to the locker room. Like, oh, I love it. It just, it added so much to that, that play call. And yeah, there were so many points. He just, he, you just know he loves the game and he is, he's absolutely a character and that he, uh, he is on the air. It's a, it's a little bit wound up version. Like most of us are, but it's a wound up version of exactly who he is. It's, it was great working with him for those years. 2021 ends. And we also know that Bob Irving is going to be leaving the booth in Winnipeg. Was it an inkling in your mind that, hey, now that he's gone, maybe there's a chance for me to do this? What, what, what was your thought pattern as you knew that Bob was finally retiring? Yeah, once it was official, I thought, well, there's at least, I mean, I, maybe I should check this out, right? Because it's the company I used to work for. I worked for, I worked for Global Television for seven years before I went to TSN in a couple of capacities. And the uh, the boss at CGOB is a, is a woman I worked with anchoring spots there. So I'm like, well, maybe I should, I should probably inquire about this. And so, yeah, I, I did. And things worked out from that perspective. They, they thought enough of me and I thought enough of them that, oh, hey, this is a reality. So then you go back into talking to my wife about, hey, can we, can we make this move? Is this possible? Does this, does this fit for us? And then ultimately everything was, was enough of a fit that, yeah, here we are. I'm, I'm waiting for uh, the first preseason game back in Saskatchewan for the uh, totally different perspective on the Labor Day Banjo Bowl head-to-head. But yeah, it was it came open at a time in my life where 
it was possible for me to take it. Circumstances said, yeah, I should, I should take this. And, and here we are. Timing is everything. Four decades of Bob being the voice of the Blue Bombers. Yep. Uh, anywhere in between, there's no opportunity. Well, and that's the thing, right? These, these jobs, like, I'm the last guy in my working lifetime that's going to take the bomber job, right? Like, I'm taking this one until I'm ready to hang it up. So these, which is this kind of indication, these jobs don't come open very often. Bob, 47 years. Brian Hall in Edmonton must have been 40 years. Uh, the guy before me in Saskatchewan, 20 years. Mark Stephen in Calgary. Is he in your, he's over 25 years. Morley Scott's been going for, he took over from Brian Hall, but Morley's got a good run going in Edmonton. Like these jobs do not come open very often. And I mean, you're going to have to pry this one out of my cold dead hand. So uh, apologies to any 30 something broadcasters who want to do play by play, but you're going to be in your fifties by the time I'm done doing this one. Right. Like, cause th this is, if you want to be around the CFL, there's, there aren't many better places than, than the one I'm in right now. Well, you've got a, an amazing opportunity. You've got a two-time defending Grey Cup champion who are touted probably to be back in the West Final minimally. I mean, it should be a very exciting season in Blue Bomberland. Well, they got to be the favorites, right, to win the Grey Cup at this exact moment? I can't argue that because no one yet has proven that they can beat them. Yeah, and I mean, anything anything will happen from here on in, right? Injuries, like an injury to Zach Caleros, and it's dramatically different multiple injuries like other teams have had to deal with. If they have Saskatchewan's injury luck or a total lack of luck from 2021, okay, Winnipeg's in a lot of trouble because you can't have, was it 16 guys on the six-game injured list, whatever it was at its peak? No team can survive that and be the team we think they are. So the Bombers have had a lot of injury things go in their favor these last couple seasons and have won a couple of great cups uh, in part because of that. So yeah, it's uh, to me they're they're pretty clearly the favorite with what's happened to their roster versus other teams, but uh, nothing is guaranteed because a couple of a couple of knocks or a twisted ankle or a defensive end happens to roll up on a quarterback and then you get to work with Doug Brown who's worked quite a few years with Bob. You've got some expertise in that booth again. Yeah, Doug's over a decade in the booth and man, I was so happy that he decided he was going to stick around. I don't know how much he thought about not sticking around, but when you go from, I mean, all he ever knew was working with Bob Irving, right? And you, I could totally understand if someone in that spot said, I don't know that I want to work with a new guy. Maybe I'll step away. That would have been totally understandable, but I'm just, I'm so blessed that he's decided to stick around. And yeah, we've had a couple of chances to chat both on the radio and in person. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to get along just fine. I'm, I'm very excited because Doug's a Hall of Famer, guy I covered back in my early days when he was playing alongside Joe Fleming and stuff. Oh, he's going to have some stories that I'll want to hear about the guy that ran on the field to try to fight one of the BC Lions and just got pummeled. I can't wait to hear Doug's take on that one. Oh my goodness. He's, he's probably got more than that in his <laughs> repertoire. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're going to have a lot of fun. Derek, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on our podcast. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter? And uh, obviously they can find you on, on CJOB in uh, Winnipeg. Yeah. So uh, on Twitter at the moment, DT on SC, I feel like I can't find a way to keep the SC anymore. It was sports center. It was sports cage, but I'm going to change my Twitter handle at some point. I'm on Instagram, DT on CJOB. I started a TikTok account, wondering if I could put some CFL content on TikTok. Uh, I promised to not shake my buttocks like so many people on that thing seem to do. 
Uh, but yeah, daily reports on CJOB and yeah, the broadcast. I can't, uh, I can't wait for the first one. Awesome. Thank you so much, Derek. Really a treat to talk to you tonight. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Don. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again at the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. <laughs>